Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we have on an analyst or an expert to discuss a single stock. And today we're talking Cloudflare with Joe Fermansky. He's an investor at NZS Capital. By the way, I recommend going and looking up NZS Capital. They write wonderful letters. And we've had on John Bathgate before, who is also sort of an expert in the semiconductor space. But Joe, uh, he has really cut his teeth on the cybersecurity and IT sectors. Uh, and so do you have any highlights from this interview? Uh, Cloudflare is a beast to understand. So I won't pretend like I understand the business yet, but I definitely made progress. So if you're someone that is looking to get a grip on this industry, whether it's Cloudflare, Zscaler, Palo Alto Networks, um, the big three cloud providers, Fastly, whoever. This made some good progress for me. Um, I mean, just just the going with the overview of the business, that, that, that's really why and why people are choosing them why they think they can become the fourth big cloud provider over the long term. And Brett kind of mentioned it there, but the it's uh it can be a daunting task to try to understand companies like this. And listening to Joe, it's fascinating because he didn't grow up in the industry. He had to teach himself this sector and this industry, and he went about it sort of in an organic way like that. So I, uh, it's fascinating to kind of hear him talk about it. Uh, but before we get to that interview, we want to talk about our sponsor. It's Stream by AlphaSense. You've heard us talk about them before. Uh, Stream is an expert interview transcript library. So if you want to hear uh, research or interviews with people that are inside the industries and really get an expert opinion, this is the place to go. They cover all industries from tech, media, consumers, industrials, real estate. There's basically any company you want. They're going to have expert interview calls on them. And if you're really, if there's any hangup for a company in your research process, I really recommend going and checking out either stream, uh, any of streams calls, because they usually answer the question that investors are thinking. I've, I've kind of found that when I'm reading the calls. So go ahead and check them out. It's streamrg.co backslash CCM. I'm going to repeat that again, streamrg.co backslash CCM. Link will be in the show notes. It's a 14 day free trial using pro promo code CCM. And yeah, like he said, link in the show notes. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome in. Today we are joined by Joe Fermansky. He's an investor at NZS Capital. He was actually, I, I believe, Brett was corresponding, but recommended to us by a prior guest in John Bathgate. And today we're talking Cloudflare. I guess, Joe, for, for starters, welcome to the show. Uh, my first question, uh, you talked about this right before we hit record, but your specialty is kind of in IT and cybersecurity. How did you develop that specialty? And then was that something you've had throughout your whole career? Or is that something you, I guess, like learned as an investor? 
Yeah, well, thank you very much for ha uh, having me on the show. Uh, cybersecurity is is something that you know I started uh, really looking into five six years ago, and it was something that really I had to learn. Um, prior to that, I had covered a number of different spaces, but cybersecurity uh, was something that's obviously been around for for generations. Uh, you know, we go back to the first stateless uh, firewalls and next generation firewalls and the like. However, what it had uh, began to transpire is as the world continued to digitize, what we ended up starting to find out is that the importance of the IT stacks or the data that the companies have was just growing immensely in, in importance to the point that if a company's data was no longer available to it, or if it were lost, or if a company was no longer able to actually function uh, in a digital way, that was a serious loss of both credibility and, and straight up revenue dollars. And so as the world continued to digitize, it became more and more important. And it's been an industry having covered networking and the like that I came in through that kind of angle and really began to, to explore that space in depth. Before we get uh, into Cloudflare, I guess it sounds like you kind of had to teach yourself in this space. So do you have any recommendations for learning about cybersecurity, IT for maybe the layman? Yeah, I mean, it's read everything, get your hands on and really kind of start off, at, you know, looking at the, the history of the space and what has really kind of transpired. Uh, you know, there's been some really uh, innovative companies in this space for a number of times. But I would, I would focus on learning about how the first generation of firewalls were created and how the overall security stack had to actually evolve as the way we do business changes. So initially, when... Uh, you know, we were setting up firewalls in our offices. We were actually operating mainly within the four walls of, of an office. It was more of a castle and moat kind of situation where you wanted to, you weren't doing as much business externally. It was mainly internally. And you just wanted to make sure you kept the bad actors out uh, at the gate. You wanted to keep them out of the, the, the four walls of the office building. And so you wanted to inspect that traffic coming in, stop the bad traffic, stop the bad actors at the gate, and then uh, let the rest of the company operate as business as usual. But as we began to evolve, as we began to adopt things like SaaS and uh, adopt things like uh, work from anywhere and all that, the way this model evolved began to show cracks. And so I think, you know, if you're looking at the cybersecurity space, you really need to start uh, in the, the early days of the firewall and see how everything started to evolve going up to the next generation firewall, what companies like Checkpoint and Palo Alto and the like have done in the space, what Cisco has been doing. and and, and look at what the history is. And then you need to start looking at zero trust, which is a complete paradigm shift when we think of cybersecurity. And there, you know, Beyond Corp has written a number of great papers. And I would definitely encourage people to, to research a lot of what zero trust is, and that will help them understand really kind of where the future is in cybersecurity. Okay. And let's, let's talk Cloudflare. What exactly do they do? Can you kind of explain it, I guess, to... They do a lot of things. They could be the rest, that could be 30 minutes right here, but I, I don't know. Can what you, are the key things? Yeah. Can you try to explain the business and then what kind of value do they provide to their customers? Yeah. I mean, that, that you know, it's, it's the, sometimes the simplest questions are hardest things, especially on companies that are complicated like Cloudflare. Like, what is it they do? It's, it's actually quite hard. I mean, obviously the, the, the company would describe themselves as a global platform designed to make everything you connect to the internet, private, secure, reliable, uh, with a mission statement of making the internet better. I mean, that's a big mission statement, make a better internet. But I think that the best way to actually kind of look at what they do is kind of actually look at how they do it and what they've built. And I think then we can actually identify 
really, what can they do? And I think that's a really better uh, question to, to, to go after here. So when uh, Matt Prince and uh, Michelle Zabelin and, and uh, Lee Holloway got together in 2009, they obviously, Matt and, and Lee had a, a previous relationship with the, the project Honeypot, which is actually kind of the beginning of, of Cloudflare. But they began to wanting to develop a, a cloud-based security service for websites so as to to protect against something called DDoS, which is distributed denial of service. And in doing so, what they found is they had to have a very distributed network of points of presence all over the world. Otherwise, that service that they were offering would actually cause the websites to be very glitchy, crash, their latency. It just it wasn't working unless they built out this large network. And what they did was actually develop a content delivery network. And I think it's important to kind of just look at what a content delivery network is. And I think that'll help understand really what they do going forward. So content delivery networks have been around for, for decades. Akamai has been a, a, a leader in this space for, for many, many years. And the best way to kind of describe it is a, a content delivery network lies between what uh, a, a publisher of content and the user of content. So think of it as the Wall Street Journal is publishing their website and you're going to their website and viewing it. The content delivery network allows that content to be stored locally or closer to the, the end user of that content. And in doing so, they have two key benefits. You significantly reduce the latency or the, uh, the load time for that web page because the traffic is only going over the last mile. Instead of you know, someone in LA having to access the Wall Street Journal's data center in New York, they're actually accessing a data center somewhere in the LA region. Secondly, the bandwidth or the data doesn't have to actually travel all that way. It's only really traveling the, the good the last mile portion. So that significantly reduces the cost of the network infrastructure that a company like Wall Street Journal actually has to put together because they're able to use this content delivery network. So these networks lie in between uh, the the enterprise and the end user, and we can actually abstract that and say they. In doing so, it's not just content and someone watching, reading the, uh, the Wall Street Journal online. We can actually substitute those terms with anything. It could be an application uh, on one end and a remote uh, worker on the other end. It could be uh, a company's uh, internal uh, services, and it could be something on the other end. And so you can actually have anything on either side. And so that, I think that's the first important thing is they created this content delivery network and then they intertwined that, that network, which is vast, by the way. It's over 250 cities have points of presence in over 100 countries. I mean, that's, that's massive. And to put that into context, Amazon has about 100 points of presence in uh, or 100 cities with points of presence. So it's almost twice as big as the AWS in terms of distribution or scale. Okay. And so they tie this together with also something called a software defined network. And so what that allows them to do is create a highly adaptable and programmable network that ties this entire massive network together. And with that, that allows the company to deliver more reliable and efficient load times and more efficient um, data. Okay. So, we have this content delivery network and it's all tied together with software defined networking. 
And that software-defined networking, instead of using dumb pipes where you're you're just basically going into the general internet and 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 uh, connecting to this content delivery network, you have a highly programmable software-defined network that you can actually uh, uh, create your own routing, more efficient routes to take that data. You can program it to create prioritization uh, of data versus other data, and you can also have something that can adapt. So if one route is being bogged down for one reason or another, you can reroute that traffic. And you can do that in a software-based way that allows developers and enterprises to actually, through open APIs, actually be able to really tie into this. And then finally, what they do with this network is they, they also have serverless edge computes. So they can actually do computation or uh, compute at the edge of the network. And that allows you to actually be able to run, run lines of code closer at, to the end user. And that's a, a really uh, important aspect when you look at the overall pie of what they've created. Now, as an enterprise, you connect into the Cloudflare network. And that network, just to, to take a, a quote from John Gage, you know, who coined the term, the network is the computer. Cloudflare has created that network that can be the computer. And then inside that computer, you can run things like cybersecurity, network security. You can run content uh, delivery networks. You can run compute at the edge. There's a whole lot of things that that can do that allows the company to really continue to expand their, their breadth of offerings. It's for you. Credentials to advance, confidence to stand out in your career. At Regent University, you'll join more than 30,000 world changers making a difference in high-demand fields. Pursue your bachelor's, master's, or doctorate online or on campus in Virginia Beach. Your degree from top-ranked Regent University is waiting. So is the world you will elevate. Say yes to your purpose and position yourself for a brighter future. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Regent.edu slash learn more. All right, I think... Uh... You hit some of the next questions here. I don't want to, I, I think you've talked about how they're differentiated from say like a Fastly. So we don't need to hit that. But the relationship to the big three cloud providers for investors, I think is probably something we want to hit on. It's very important. So why would someone add on Cloudflare services instead of going all with AWS or all with Microsoft Azure? And in the future, you know, you talked about that educating stuff. In the future, would someone be able to use Cloudflare only, or do you think they'll always be attached um, to the big three cloud providers or, or the cloud infrastructure providers in general? Or again, is that the wrong way to look at it? <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think that's the wrong way to look at it. And, and when I think about it, I, I think it's not in the either or situation. It's definitely going to be an and situation. And the fact that, uh, you know, those edge compute and, and what they've developed there is not going to supplant what you currently have in a centralized data center where you're doing heavy, you know, workloads and heavy compute uh, cycles that you need to do. It's not likely to replace, at least at this point. I mean, never say never. And you don't know what necessarily Cloudflare is going to develop. They, they're innovating at a re remarkable pace. But that being said, it's like not likely to be a situation where it's an either or. However, they are going to have opportunities to do things uh, uh, that will be in competition with some of those big guys. You know, the edge compute is in competition with AWS Lambda, which is their serverless offer offering. Um, you know, one of the the, the bigger uh, things they launched last year was something called R2. And R2 is the opportunity to basically uh, 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 store data or cache data, if you will, um, at the edge and not have to pay the egress fee. So as that data flows out of AWS 3, 
you can cash some of that and go back. So those egress fees, all of a sudden, for a certain amount of data, goes to zero. And that's you know that's definitely a shot across the bow to, to Amazon. And you know, in, in retaliation, Amazon obviously increased their amount of uh, of uh, gigabits that they're they allow to go you know free from one gigabit to 100 gigabits. But still, it's it's one of those things that if you're bringing a lot of data in and out of Amazon, you know, a, a Cloudflare uh, R2 offering is 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 a dream come true for you. So they they will be in competition, and you know Matt Prince has uh, said that he wants to be the fourth major cloud provider. Um, I don't think it's an either or situation. I think it's more of an and situation. I think you'll see that you know it will be a situation that if if uh, Cloudflare uh, survives, Amazon AWS has to die. It's more a situation that they are uh, working in conjunction with each other in a number of different areas, and what Cloudflare is offering is is something a little bit different than what what Amazon has out there. Okay, I have a question that mm-hmm. maybe might be a little uh, basic, but how does how do they make money? Like, what are the customers paying for? Because it sounded like there was like a software component as well, or is it like compute space. I'm, I'm, I'm I guess like, what's so, their pricing look like? Yeah, so I mean, uh, they have a number of different offerings that they have, and so you kind of have to look at them in a, in a broad space. But they have everything from a, a you know pay as you go service. They have a free tier for some of their website hosting and and the like, and they have uh, a number of areas. So basically, uh, as a, a customer, depending on what you, you're utilizing them for, it's it's a kind of a SaaS, you know, uh, flat uh, rate model. It's not a usage based model like some content delivery networks. It is more of a flat rate. Um, on, on certain uh, aspects of the business. Um, additionally, as that uh, moves forward, um, what you have is the, the the company continues to expand those offerings. And so their net retention rate is something 120, 124%. And so the, the, comp- the customers are paying for really kind of the various different services. So let's look at some of these services in, in, in isolation. Um, like for instance, they are one of the major players in the SASE space, which is Secure Access, Security Edge. And that is a really convoluted term for basically cloud-based based network cybersecurity. Okay. And in there, what they're able to do is uh, do network, uh, inspection of the traffic and, and the like. And so they're competing there with a company like Zscaler. Is, is a direct competitor of theirs. And so that's a service that you can pay for. And depending on the level of service, you know, they have various different tiers of that particular service, you know, all the way from a self-service tier all the way up to an enterprise uh, level tier. Okay. Gotcha. And that leads right into the TAM question. For these type of companies, I think it's important because a lot of people that aren't in the industry, you don't really know how big uh, serverless compute, CDNs, all that good stuff. Like, how big is this market? And we mentioned, you mentioned in our pre-show correspondence that their TAM has potentially gone up to north of $100 billion now compared to a few years ago when it was only at approximately $32 billion. And obviously, those are just estimates. But what are the key drivers of that? And is it is it those new products you mentioned that they've been announcing? Yeah, I mean that's largely been what's been expanding the team. And so when the company first came out, you they were doing uh, you know a, a much more narrow subset of thing, of network security, and they've been broaden uh, broadening that out over over the years. And the pace at which this company innovates is is really breathtaking. So um, they have uh, you know servers that suite, birthday week, and all these weeks they they launch a whole dearth of new services and offerings. And with that, they basically are adding on new TAMs. And so 
when they, you know, obviously when they, they came public back in 2019, you know, they had about $32 billion TAM is what they were looking at. And they're, they were doing things like uh, DDoS, they had their CDN offering, uh, wire network, and, and, and the like. And what they've been adding to these offerings is some zero trust services that includes remote, uh, you know, approval access management and, and, uh, and data loss prevention and the like, VPNs. They've added carrier services is one of the areas that they're moving into where they can look at, you know, uh, offering substitutions to MLPS and SD-WAN and the like. And so as they continue to innovate, they're, they're basically adding on entirely new TAMs. And what's not included in some of those TAMs is, you know, their serverless offering. So Cloudflare Workers, which is kind of, you know, getting a lot of really uh, a positive attention at this point in time, they can't even begin to put a TAM on that because serverless edge compute is such in the nascent stages of, of it. There's not really a TAM to really define. And so they keep innovating. And that's part of the culture that Matt Prince and Michelle and, and Lee have put together is, a, a culture of innovation, highly decentralized uh, 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 structure that allows them to continually develop and 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 get these services to their customers. I think it's also important to kind of on that point talk about their free tier that they have. They've always offered a free tier of service, which not all companies give away. You know, a part of the, what they offer for free. And they've always had this free tier, and that has uh, two benefits to it. One, it allows them to get even increasing amounts of, of visibility into networks. So if you're hosting, if you're putting your website up there or you're getting any traffic uh, going through it, that traffic gives Cloudflare more visibility. Secondly, that's a, nut, a pool of people that you can launch some betas to that you can test this stuff out at a rapid pace and, and begin to get this stuff out to the customers. So uh, their, their ability to innovate is, is really unparalleled in the space. Pluralsight, a tech workforce development company, provides the solutions high-performing engineering teams need to tackle today's biggest challenges. Whether it's building the skills individuals and teams need to tackle mission-critical projects, driving cloud transformation, or helping software teams to ship reliable, scalable, and secure code. Harness the collective power of hindsight, foresight, and insight with Pluralsight at pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. All right, we've talked about what the business does. I know there's a lot more in depth that we could go into, but transitioning more to the actual business, what do the unit economics look like? Can you maybe give a few metrics on the financials, you know, um, what their margins are? And, and is this since, you know, it's compared to uh, their goal is to be one of the big three cloud providers, or sorry, the fourth cloud provider. Is this a capital intensive business? So their their margin structure is very akin to software on the gross margin basis. So they have a um, about a seventy eight, you know, I would say between a seventy five around a seventy five percent gross margin uh, level. Um, currently, a little bit higher than that today, um, and that is largely uh, uh, a function of how their their business model is set up. Um, if you look at their operating margins right now, they're break even. 
Um, and they're generating last year, I think, uh, just north of $600 million of revenue. So they're break even at that, at that level. And they're, they're projecting to remain break even for a long period of time as they invest heavily into their uh, sales and marketing uh, and R&D. Those are areas where they view that they're continuing to innovate, continuing to bring new products to the market, and they're going to need to continue to get those products into the hands of the, the developers and, and enterprises that can use it. And so for the, the time being, they're going to be operating this company pretty much close to a 0% margin. However, if you look at um, how they, their long-term business model that they have, you know, they're going to continue to spend heavily on R&D, but that sales and marketing really should begin to scale uh, as time goes on. So you're looking at a company that could have operating margins around 20%. Uh, you asked about the capital intensity. And yes, I mean, they are putting servers into co-location data centers and, you know, into peering points all around the world. And so that is a uh, a moderately capital intensive business to the point that uh, they're currently spending somewhere between 10 and 15% of revenue into CapEx. Um, that should come down as the company continues to scale. Uh, but you know, it's, this isn't a, uh, a CapEx light business model. And so when you think of it also another way is, you know, if you think about what the free cash flow margin of a business like this could be at steady state, uh, which is still many years off, you're looking at something that's probably right around that 20% level. What does, so you kind of, alluded to it there for a second and you said they're pouring a lot of money into sales and marketing what does the sales cycle or the sales process look for someone like cloudflare are they just are they is it a lot of inbounds like are people asking to use cloudflare services or are they kind of going direct to these ctos and saying mm -hmm. replace whatever you have use us because of blank blank and blank so the answer is both. Uh, so they have a direct sales model. And so they're not uh, as heavily uh, into the, the partner channel as, as some of their peers. Uh, so largely, uh, it's a direct sales model. Uh, in that model, they have both a self-service tier where people are coming to them. You know, uh, these are maybe smaller de uh, development, uh, developer teams that are maybe trying out the service or, or something, you know, and the, the, those uh, are going to be kind of, you know, a little bit lower price. And then they are going right after those enterprise or those, those large uh, dollar accounts uh, by, you know, with the direct sales of people actually reaching out to the CTOs and CISOs. What's the, I guess, benefits of, I imagine these enterprises have some sort of solution that competes with Cloudflare. So what, why would an enterprise choose Cloudflare over say a competitor? Yeah. So, I mean, when we look at it, it let's just take a look at their, their security offerings. So they're, they're sassy. Uh, you know, once again, I, whenever I say sassy, I think of Phil Hartman from the, the Saturday Night Live bit, uh, you know, sassy. Uh, but their security uh, offering uh, that they have out there is, is part of the zero trust um, kind of way of looking at it. So if you look at zero trust, that is, it really got three aspects to it. It's got identity, SASE, which is kind of your, your cloud-based net, uh, network security and endpoint security. Um, and so if you're a, a company and you've developed yours and you're looking to transition to zero trust, which um, many, many companies are looking at looking at this because the, with work from home, with SaaS, with all the ways that the, the, the network has evolved, uh, this perimeter-based uh, network security or this perimeter-based cybersecurity does not really hold uh, water very well any longer. So we're moving to the zero trust. And when you look at zero trust, you're looking at you know a handful of, of, of services and, 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 and providers. And so within the SASE space, which is that network security kind of space, you, you have a handful of players that are out there. Um, and so 
they're looking at mainly repl either replacing that or they're a new and upcoming company that's looking to at getting the, the first zero trust in place uh, uh, going forward. And so they will be looking at a company like Zscaler. Palo Alto has launched their own uh, SASE network. You got companies like Cato Networks and, and the like that have all developed this. Um, and so, but it's a, it's a small subset of, of companies. I guess I'm trying to think of like the hurdles for say a newcomer, like how hard would it be to disrupt Cloudflare? Like what, what are the hurdles for someone that's trying to do what Cloudflare is doing? Is it possible? I mean, it, it, it's always possible. I mean, Cloudflare built Cloudflare. And so obviously right. someone, you know, over time could do it. it it's, it, it's easier said than done. Um, building a global network um, uh, that they have built uh, is is quite difficult, and, and setting up the the structure, IT stack, and the software defining network nature of the company, setting that all up, it is difficult, um, but not not unheard of to, to develop. Um, it's also a situation that, you know, if you look at some of these legacy companies that are out there. It, it requires a big lift and shift. So let's think of a competitor like uh, there's Palo Alto Networks, who's been a, a real leader in the cybersecurity space for, for many, many years. They are transitioning to uh, having a, their own SASE offering. And with that, they are having to really adjust not only their, their mentality and their sales model, but also their, their infrastructure and the fact that you know, they, they aren't selling these point hardware products to companies as much in this business model. What they're having to do is actually stand up their own uh, data centers or their own points of presence all over and connect those software uh, defined networks. And that's a little bit of, I mean, that's not necessarily something that they had been doing all along. I mean, they, they have been moving in that direction, um, but this is, you know, a, a big shift in, in how they're doing it. Uh, they're also building that on top of AWS, which, um, you know, it allows a you know a, a faster entry to the market, but as we highlighted, AWS isn't as close to the edge. Also, there's there's limits to visibility that you have when you run on top of AWS and your ability to do some of that routing and networking. But obviously, when we look at it, uh, going back to what we had talked about earlier, Cloudflare as this kind of this network, this platform that they are, is not just purely only just the uh, cybersecurity. That's a huge part of it. But they also have this networking as a service offering. They also have this edge compute offering. Those two offerings aren't something that a, a Palo Alto will look at. And then if you look at Amazon, they do have some security, but that's not necessarily the direction they go. They're looking at more at the 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 edge compute. So there's not many companies that are trying to do all of the things that Cloudflare is doing at once. And that's really what differentiates them is there are some companies that have kind of created this kind of similar network, but they're focused on just content delivery and, or they're just focused on cybersecurity or they're just focused on the uh, data compute and storage. And so Cloudflare is kind of in a league of their own of trying to actually address a much wider uh, breadth of, of offerings. What are your thoughts on management and the founder, Matt Prince? Yeah, so, you know, uh, the views on those guys are, are, are quite high. And the fact that, you know, what Matthew Prince and Michelle and Lee have actually created at, uh, at there, the culture of innovation that they've actually developed is, is really something to be in, in awe of. They paste it with the innovate, you know, the, the fact that they went, they've added so many services over here. I, I think I, I, you can't even keep count of how many new services or new, uh, launches they do in a year because it's just it's a rapid fire uh, pace. They have a 
a, a view that you know they are going to create whatever is needed for the customer and get it to the customer. And it's it's really uh, you know they have created something that is truly special over there. And so from a culture that they've put in place, I think Matt and uh, the rest of the team has really done and earned high marks. As far as, and I think uh, I'd be remorse if I didn't ask, because when you, I guess, screen for it and you, and you see some of the, you see the valuation at, uh, at first, it can seem sort of uh, daunting. So I guess, what are your thoughts on the valuation and then what needs to happen for this to produce good returns at, at its current multiple? Yeah, so uh, you know, at, at this point in time, that the, is trading somewhere just north of thirty times sales, and so that's a that's a healthy multiple by any respect. Um, in order in order for a company to to really earn that multiple and keep that multiple and still generate a, a healthier return, uh, you know, what we can take a look at is we can kind of back into you know what kind of growth rate that they would need to be able to sustain, what kind of free cash flow that they would have to generate. And so, you know, we earlier we spoke that, you know, may, you know, this company at the steady state can generate something like a 20% free cash flow margin. And, you know, in this current market, you know, a 3% yield on that uh, cash flow margin is kind of where a company like this may trade at a more of a steady state kind of uh, place. And so when you look at that and you say, okay, well, I want to generate a, a 10% uh, you know, analyzed rate of return, what type of revenue growth, how much revenue would I have to generate over that period of time? Um, and, and that would drop down to that to, to, to warrant that. And when you look at that at 30, you know, two times EV sales, you're going to have to grow a CAGR at 35%, which is, you don't have many companies that have done that for 10 years. And so that is, it's definitely a tall order. However, if you look at what that would yield and, and, and total uh, revenue dollars, that's something close to about $10 billion of revenue. And if you look at that in respect to what we're currently spending on cybersecurity globally, it's about $170 billion. You're looking at something just short of 5% of that total addressable market for cybersecurity. However, as we've talked about, they're also doing edge compute, they're doing network as a service, they have content delivery. So if we take a look at the global IT spend of uh, you know, $1.6 trillion. And obviously both those numbers are growing. You know, it, it, it isn't out of the realm of possibility that they can achieve $10 billion of revenue in 10 years. It's, it is a situation where, you know, when you look at that, you know, it's it, the range of outcomes that would have to happen is, it, you know, it, it's definitely forces a prediction there that is, you know, uncomfortable for, for many. All right, last yeah, question sense. here. We hit, well, we like to do the last question as a pre-mortem. And I guess we talked about how the investment could go wrong. It's really their revenue growth um, is a lot slower than 35% over the next 10 years. But I just want to hit on a question, more of the risk to the business. Like why would this business not be bigger three, five or 10 years from now? Is there anything that could disrupt that? You know, there, there's a couple of things that can happen, you know, on the execution side, you know, they are going in many, many diff different directions at once. Uh, instead of focusing purely on just one of these areas, like, you know, we spoke about just a moment ago where they're doing um, security, they're doing network as a service, they're doing content delivery, they're doing edge compute. You know, when you're going in so many different directions at once, you know, the risk to execution, um, being able to deliver on all those in a way that your customers expect, you know, that that grows exponentially as you layer on more things. So, you know, is it a direction that is it a situation that they go grow in, in many, many different directions and they have a difficulty actually achieving scale in, in one or more of those different avenues? 
The other thing is, is you know, you're you're competing against some very well established companies. You're competing against you know AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, competing against Palo Alto, Checkpoint, uh, Cisco, uh, you know, and, and you know, and, and then the new age guys, Zscaler, Fastly, and, and like you're competing against some really, really good companies out there. And so to the degree that they can catch up and maybe take some of that growth out of you in the form of, you know, they're just being a better competitor against you. That's, those are kind of the risks that you, that you look at in the space. Okay. I think that's all the questions we have. Uh, I guess for listeners that want to maybe keep track of you in any way, is there any way to do that? Can they get a hold of you in any way? Yeah. I mean, uh, I would, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I do have Twitter actually. Uh, I, I'm not an active uh, Twitter uh, person. I've been trying to be a little bit better on that, but my Twitter is Joe, Joe um, underscore for um, And then, you know, obviously uh, we have our weekly newsletter from NCS uh, uh, in Bryce Lingerland, which is our Satal weekly. And that is something that we contribute to uh, quite often. Um, so that's uh, definitely the way to look at there. All right. Yep. And it's NCS capital. Look it up on Google. You'll be able to find it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Joe. Uh, we want to remind our listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. So anything we say or discuss on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. 